Hey everyone, this is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we give you up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into the fast-moving investigation into President Donald Trump. I'm Vicky Ward, a senior reporter at CNN, filling in for regular host David Chalian. The last two days have marked a critical turning point into the impeachment inquiry. Yesterday, the House voted to formalise the impeachment proceedings, but without a shred of Republican support. Tim Morrison, the president's top Russia adviser and a political appointee, testified. Interestingly, both sides of the political aisle are claiming a win from what he said. And finally, there are indications that we're going to start seeing testimony in public. So, a lot to sort out. Luckily, I have two fantastic guests to help me wade through it all. In a few minutes, I'll be talking to Jennifer Rogers, a former federal prosecutor and current CNN legal analyst. But first, I'm joined by the host of SE Cup Unfiltered. SE Cup, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Vicky. So, yesterday, Tim Morrison, who's a top Russia advisor at the National Security Council, testified behind closed doors. He corroborated the testimony of several other witnesses, notably that of William Taylor, the the charged affair in Ukraine. But he also stated that he saw nothing wrong with the president's July 25th phone call with Ukraine President Zelensky. Now, remember, this is the call that the president has described as, quote unquote, perfect. So is that a win for Team Trump? Um, Right. So you have to look at impeachment as both a practical and a political exercise. Practically, this corroborated, I think, the most important part of the impeachment inquiry, which was that there was quid pro quo involved in this Ukraine conversation. So practically, I think it's very damaging to to Donald Trump. Politically is a whole other question. And so for Donald Trump to be able to find any shred of innocence, um, you know, someone sort of, you know, giving giving him a, a pass is a political win for him. And so he, yes, he will use that to say, look, he didn't see anything wrong. Now, now, Tim Morrison is is not a, you know, his opinion is not legally binding. <laughs> so whether he thought there was anything illegal in this call or not is almost irrelevant. Um, you know, this trial will not be uh, adjudicated by Tim Morrison. It will be adjudicated by senators. Uh, but yeah, I can see why the president is calling this a victory. I well, expect more of that. <laughs> yes. And, you know, he loves to take charge of the narrative. Right. So this will give him... A narrative. Well, it's so interesting because the, it's the exact opposite of, of what Bill Clinton did, right? Bill Clinton didn't take control of the narrative. He ignored it completely. He ignored impeachment and he went about his business. And all he talked about during that proceeding was his agenda. Um, Trump is doing the exact opposite. All he wants to talk about is impeachment. He's going to hold rallies. He's going to maybe even do a, a live readout of this Ukrainian call. Uh, because he thinks that it is good for him. And he he may, in fact, be right. Hmm. Well, yesterday, the House formalized the impeachment proceedings. Perhaps not surprisingly, not a single Republican supported the measure. There have been a lot of reports about this White House being on its back foot. There's been talk of sort of Trump's inability to build a coherent defense strategy. There's no war room, for example. But is all that talk misguided? I mean, after all, he clearly has got Republican support. Are we looking at the Russia investigation 2.0, where all these lines of inquiry just bounce off of him? Yeah, again, I think it's 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 helpful 
to look at this practically and politically. Practically, uh, you know, where is this going to go? Is he going to be removed from office? Uh, absolutely not. Um, I think we can say with certainty. So for a pract- on a practical level, this actually is meant to, to fail ultimately. But the politics uh, of this are what we've yet to see. And Trump is betting and his White House is betting that him calling this a witch hunt and a scam and doing the Mueller thing is going to have a positive result. The country does not like impeachment. And there are a lot of independents who are not in favor of impeachment. That's what they're betting on. Now, Democrats are betting that the politics will favor them, that calling Trump out, having all of these people come forward uh, to testify against him will actually politically benefit them, if not practically. Except for two, Mm -hmm. which is, of (laughs) course, interesting, right? So you have Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey and Colin Peterson in Minnesota. Um, What do you make of the fact uh, that they voted against the resolution? What does that mean for 2020? Well, I'm not sure. Um, You know, those were both districts that Trump won by double digits. And the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, spent much of the week warning these very Democrats, Democrats in these kinds of districts, not to go along with the rest of the party on this. And maybe some of some of those Democrats took those warnings, heeded those warnings. But yeah, I mean, where all of the action is going to be is in these swing states and in these swing districts, because we know what, you know, the Trump Republicans are go- are, are going to do. And we know what how uh, the, the Pelosi Democrats are going to vote. It's all going to come down to what does this mean for Republicans and Democrats in swing districts. And that's what we have to watch. And we have to see whether that affects up ballot in the Senate, down ballot in the House. Um, You know, there are, again, political costs to impeachment that I'm sure Democrats are aware of. Uh, They're just kind of hedging their bets right now. Let me ask you a question that may sound strange, but I wrote a book called Kushner Inc. Um, The subhead was corruption. And... uh, One of the things I found when reporting it, and obviously it was about Jared and Ivanka, it wasn't so much about the president, was that people would ask me again and again, does anyone other than you, Vicky, care about corruption? I mean, this impeachment is basically about corruption, quid pro quo. That's what it is. Uh, What what would you say to that? Well, I think that's a question that Republicans are going to have to wrestle with for probably a long time. This is a turning point. Um, This is a real important moment for Republicans. We know how the House Republicans voted. We'll have to see about uh, the Senate Republicans. But you're right. This is ultimately about corruption. It's about abuse of power. When I've had Democrat – sorry, Republicans on my program, I've asked, future years, the precedent we are setting now, are you going to be comfortable with another president, not named Trump, maybe not even with an R next to his name, making these same decisions? Well, they say, sure, if it was in, in advance of rooting out corruption. Well, that's actually a different question. And that's not what Trump was doing. So I, I think Republicans are going to have to think very seriously, not just about the near term implications and winning their districts again in 2020, getting Trump back, you know, keeping Trump in the White House. But what the party will have to say about this in years to come and defending this behavior, this abuse of power. Do you think there's a sense that people, the the voters think um, that all all politicians are corrupt? I think some of that is baked into the cake. Um, I I think to a lot of voters, especially Trump voters, none of this is very surprising. 
I think voters uh, think past presidents probably did this sort of thing, too. They just weren't dumb enough to admit to it and do it as clumsily as President Trump seems to have done it. So I think, yeah, that's certainly what Trump is banking on. And he he might be right about that cynicism. I mean, he's he's the, quite brazen, right? He's not denying. He's he's saying this, oh, no, he's this, is, this is what I said and there's nothing wrong with it. Exactly right. And he's betting that he can convince a majority of voters that he's right. Which is why it's doubly important for Republicans to stand up and say, no, I actually have a problem with this. And ultimately, they might not impeach him over it. That's a valid sort of debate whether what he did is impeachable. But I think it's it's really um, important that Republicans stand up and say, no, I actually do have a problem with what he did. So next week, uh, Adam Schiff has said that uh, the public might see transcripts of what was said in these closed door hearings. There's also the possibility that we're going to see witnesses testifying uh, in the open. How do you think this this changes state of play? Well, it takes away a Republican talking point, uh, which is that this has not been transparent. I think you're going to see a lot more politicizing of this. You know, the grandstanding that we often see at these public hearings will be on full display. But I'm I'm really interested to see what John Bolton has to say. Uh, Trump's former national security advisor. Uh, for all the ribbing we do of John Bolton and his mustache, he is a formidable uh, foe. And I'm I- interested to see not only if he goes in there to sort of um, defend his own legacy and some of the decisions he made, but also to speak honestly about what he witnessed uh, President Trump do or 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 not do. And John, John Bolton, let's remind listeners, uh, described Rudy Giuliani and his sort of shadow foreign policy as being like a hand grenade, right? Absolutely right. And I think you're going to get a lot of that kind of colorful language from John Bolton. Let's remember he is a Yale-educated lawyer. So he's going to be very hard to get off his his heels. And I think he's going to have a lot of interesting things to say. We'll see. Essie, there's a lot more to discuss, but hold it right there for a second. We're going to bring in CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers. But first, this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm Vicky Ward. Essie Cup is still with me, and we're both pleased to welcome former federal prosecutor and current CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers. Thank you for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me here. So yesterday, uh, the White House Press Secretary, Stephanie Grisham, said that the resolution, quote, fails to provide any due process whatsoever to the administration, unquote calling it, quote, (laughs) unconstitutional. What do you make of that claim? Yeah, well, that's complete and utter nonsense. I mean, we've been hearing these process claims from Republicans since this all started. Um, You know, you have to think of this like a criminal case by analogy. This is the this is the investigation stage, right? They haven't yet impeached the president. So it's just like charging someone with a crime. They don't have any right to process during this phase. This is when cops run around and interview witnesses. This is when subpoenas get issued. You know, that's the sort of analogy of, of what's happening now. So they've had no right to process. And in fact, what they passed yesterday in terms of going forward 
will give the president every shred of process to which he's entitled under the Constitution. There's no question. So the notion that this is unconstitutional, you know, you could almost laugh at that because it actually, I mean, it couldn't be any more constitutional. I mean, this whole impeachment proceeding is written into the Constitution. So, you know, it's just an extension of the nonsense arguments they've been making for weeks. And I didn't really expect them to back down off of those because they've got not much else to say. But I mean, the word unconstitutional, I mean, really, you got to kind of laugh at that one. It's just silly. So yesterday, there were two court proceedings, both related to the impeachment, one involving former White House counsel Don McGahn, the other involving Charles Kupperman, former deputy national security advisor. Democrats want to hear from both of these gentlemen. What stood out to you about those hearings? So the Charles Kupperman was the the stranger one because just procedurally, it was a strange thing for him to do to file that lawsuit. Normally, if you get a subpoena and you don't want to comply with that subpoena, you would move you would move to quash the subpoena. That's the posture in which courts would be expected to weigh in on this. He didn't do that. He filed a, a freestanding lawsuit against both the White House and the House committee. So it was a very strange posture to begin with. So I wasn't surprised that the judge yesterday, Judge Leon, was kind of like, what are we doing here? What is this? I'm not sure that this is really justiciable at this point in time, meaning the court's may not really be able to resolve the thing that you filed. Um, So that one's just a little bit up in the air. No one really knows what to do about it. Um, Although I will say Judge Leon put it on for a hearing more than a month from now on December 10th, which it seems to me, despite all of his words about, oh, this is very important and needs to move quickly, that's not really moving quickly. So, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that one. I feel like the judge should have told him to file a motion to quash and then it would be teed up in the right way. Um, So I don't really know what's going on with that, except that delay is a win for the White House. That's really what they're going after here is just to try to push this testimony off to a point where the House Dems just go ahead without it. So if they get the kind of delay that that the judge was talking about yesterday, it's a win for the White House. Uh, The Don McGahn hearing, on the other hand, was like a balm for the soul of those of us who get so frustrated with all of the nonsense being spewed around about all of these proceedings. Because when you're in a courtroom and there's a figure, you know, in authority who can tell the people spewing the nonsense, that their arguments are not persuasive and they should sit down now, that's very gratifying. So to those of us, at least, who want to uphold the rule of law. So what happened yesterday was some of that. We had Judge Jackson saying to the Department of Justice lawyers who were there on behalf of the administration, you you know, this absolute immunity argument doesn't fly. You know, where are you even getting this concept that this former official who's not even in the government anymore doesn't have to testify ever about anything just because as the president says so. Um, that is not supported by any precedent, by any statute, the Constitution, or anything else. So I think a little bit of reality getting injected back into those arguments is very healthy. And I think she will rule that Don McGahn does have to go and testify pursuant to his subpoena. Now, what and what, but you, you mentioned time frame. So what would the time frame of that look like, do you think? Well, Judge Jackson said she would rule as soon as she could. So I expect an opinion within days. And then he will have to decide whether he's going to appeal that decision or just go ahead and show up. Um, And again, delay is the name of the game for them. Because remember, even when he shows up, the White House could still try to assert executive privilege over a particular question, right? The, the the question calling for an answer that they say might be subject to a privilege. So it's only kind of half the battle once he's in the chair and there's still going to be fights about what he would say. But at least if they get him there and they get him repeating some of what 
cannot be executive privilege because it's already in the public realm from the Mueller report, that will be a win for the House Dems because they want some of this just to get into their record with a little bit of color and having, you know, seeing him in the chair. So, you know, they're not going to get everything they want if they at least get some of it. I think they'll be satisfied. And of course, Don McGahn was in some ways uh, the hero of the Mueller report. I mean, the man who apparently stopped the president from doing things he shouldn't be doing. Well, he certainly was a a critical central figure. There's no question that if he is there testifying, they're going to get a lot of what they would want to get out of the facts of the Mueller investigation into their record, which is why he's the one guy they're really going after. So much has been made of the transcript of the July 25th phone call um, being moved to a special server. I want to play something that Congressman Sean Maloney, a Democrat, said about that yesterday. It's highly unusual what was done here. And certainly one explanation would be that this is a consciousness of guilt, that there is an awareness that this is a problem. Um, Obviously, it has become an enormous problem. And so to try to cover it up, to deep six it in some uh, code word national security database, which would never include something as banal as a call memorandum, even if it was itself confidential, is certainly a red flag for me. So what do you make of that characterization, Jennifer? Consciousness of guilt. So consciousness of guilt is a legal term that you use to try to get evidence into the trial record that doesn't directly go to whether the crime is committed, but it gives you kind of some information about the defendant's way of thinking, intent, and guilt, just like it says. So, you know, if you have uh, someone committing a bank robbery and it comes out on the news that person has very long red hair and then you learn that the defendant chopped off all their hair and dyed it black, you would use those facts not to prove that they did the bank robbery directly, but to show that here's a person who for some reason decided to change their appearance, you know, right after the bank robbery, that sort of thing. So here what he's saying is even though moving the call to the code word server doesn't say anything about whether there actually was this scheme to get a a public announcement of an investigation in exchange for military aid in a White House visit, it does go to people saying, holy moly, what is going on? This call is really bad. Something happened on this call that we're uncomfortable with. We're going to try to hide it. So that's what he's saying. You know, you use it for that purpose. It's not directly related, but it does give you some of the atmospherics and certainly goes against the president's assertion that the call was perfect and wonderful. And how could anyone say there was anything wrong with it, which is one of the narratives, at least, that he's been trying to spin. Thank you. That's very interesting. Um, Essie, Before we go, final question. So this has been uh, an extraordinary week. What what next? What do you see as happening next week? Uh, Well, like I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to Bolton's uh, testimony. We don't know if he will, uh, you know, agree to appear yet. But if he does, I think, you know, what he has to say will be really interesting. Um, we also know that lawmakers are are speaking with John Eisenberg. He's the NSC lawyer that Lieutenant Colonel Vinman um, approached with concerns about the July 25th call. Uh, he, Eisenberg, was reportedly responsible for moving the transcript that you just talked about um, to that secure server. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to learn from his perspective – what the thought process was behind that, you know, what context can he give us about why that was moved and how it was moved? And maybe if other calls were moved, uh, you know, we might we might get some interesting answers there. Essie, 
Jennifer, thank you for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favourite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.